Then it ends, oh, for grace to trust him more. And we're going to see here at the end of John 17, in reality, that's what Jesus is praying. That Father, the Father will give us grace, his strength. You can turn to John 17 to love him, to trust him more. And if Jesus is praying that for us, folks, you can be confident it will be accomplished. And we can be encouraged in that this morning. We're finishing up this beautiful high priestly prayer that he is praying. He prayed that the Father would glorify him so that he could glorify the Father at the beginning. And then he prays the rest for his disciples and for those that would become disciples through his word proclaimed through them. And that goes right down through history to us today. And he is praying for us, interceding and praying that we will be kept and that we will have fruitful ministry and that we will understand him more. Beautiful, beautiful themes in this chapter 17 before he goes to the cross. We just have really a few verses, three verses at the end of this to go through today. So that may, this morning, that may take a little less time. But I'd like to recap by just reading through the whole prayer before. I pray again, just to give us the full scope of this, to remember that Jesus is praying this um, in entirety to his disciples as they're sitting or or standing there close to the, the gate as they get ready to head out of the city. And just think of, consider what the disciples are experiencing as they're hearing this prayed and hearing Jesus pray this for them and then hearing him pray for those that they will minister to, and in effect saying that Jesus will give them effective ministry and others will trust him because of what he will do through them. That had to have been encouraging. So we're going to read the whole chapter, and we're going to see here at the end that Jesus prays for God's love in us to continue to help us to understand the love of the Father for us. John 17, the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, and this is the discourse, the teaching that he has given them through many chapters from the upper room to this point, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, 
but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these alone only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And our final three verses we'll be looking at today. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What glorious truths. Father, as we now pray to you, Jesus, in that special sense, as the Son, as God addressing God, the Trinity. And that unique relationship. And yet, Lord, as we think on what he prayed, it is an example to us of how we need to pray. So many times, and legitimately, we have things that we need to pray and come before you and ask. But we neglect to pray to grow in fruitful ministry and service in, in our lives, to overcome sin, to note the glories of Christ as we read and as we sense him working in us as we serve, and to experience more of his love and to understand his love for us better. These are things that we also need to pray for. We're so glad that Jesus prayed for these things for us, and we can be confident as true believers that you will perform and accomplish these things in us. Jesus prayed for them. We know that they're as good as done. So continue to help us to trust you in this work that you're doing. And let us be encouraged today and exhorted to have our minds focused and meditated on Jesus and the wonders of his glory and his love for us. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen. God's love in us. As we read through this prayer, Jesus ends this priestly prayer by praying. He first of all, again, I said he prayed for himself, then he prayed verses 6 through 19 for his disciples, these 11 disciples that are next to him, listening to him pray. And he prayed for the unity of the disciples' ministry. And then in these last few verses, 20 through 26, he prayed for those, uh, the converts from these 11 disciples, those that would hear the word of God through their testimony, through the writings that the Holy Spirit would guide them in, the scriptures that would be written, and through the testimony of those that would hear and trust and become their ministry partners. They would hear and they would trust Christ. And he prays for a unity of all future believers then. Um, And this extends, of course, to us today as we finish out this prayer. And those marvelous words that we saw yesterday, and we see even again today that Jesus literally prays for the unity of his followers that would somehow in some way or another reflect the unity of the Father and the Son. Just mind-blowing marvelous. Jesus wants to do that work in us. And we need to be, we need to desire as a church family to want to have that kind of unity. And now in this marvelous kind of finale in these last three verses, he prays that we would see his glory and experience his love in a deeper way. God's love in us. First of all, we're going to see in verse 24 that Jesus desires that his followers would experience further experience his glory. What does he mean by that? Well, we're going to see here. And he models a prayer as we begin verse 24 that we should emulate as well. Again, things that we don't normally pray for, but he requests the Father that we as believers would see the glory of Jesus in our lives. Have we prayed for that recently? Maybe not. I might have had a step ahead of you and might have been convicted and prayed that a few times before today, but we need to pray that more. But we need to understand what that is that we're praying for. What is this glory that he's talking about, that they would see my glory? It's important. Let's think about that. What could he be referring to? Well, his disciples, his 11 disciples, we know, in fact, Sandy read the passage just a few minutes ago, John 16, that Jesus refers many times to the fact that his disciples have seen his glory, and that is his earthly ministry and his teaching, and they've experienced all of this. So there has been the glory that his disciples have seen of his earthly ministry. And Jesus can say that God has glorified him in that ministry and that he has accomplished that ministry. Even as he gets ready, To go to the cross, he speaks of it in terms as already done. It's as good as done. And the glory that will come from that. There's a few in this group that have seen a special presentation of Jesus' glory. Marvelous. Remember that? The glory of his transfiguration. Disciples were caught napping. But when they woke up, it it was a quick, cold wake up where they were startled and surprised, but imagine seeing the glory of Jesus just for a moment in the manner that he um, 
received glory and his glorious appearance in heaven. That must have been a startling, memorable sight. And Peter later on in his epistles, his letters, refers back to that. It's something that he never forgot. It was literally seared into his mind that he saw the glory of Christ in that moment. What about his followers even today? Do we get to see the glories of Christ? Well, we can certainly, and, we can, and I think we can all remember times where we can sense the glorious power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit working through us, where we see Jesus accomplishing something through something that we have done, and we realize there was no way that I could have done that. <laughs> that was Jesus working through me. That's glorious. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. We have experienced that glory in a certain sense. There's another aspect of glory. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the glories of Christ as we read his word. As we read God's word and the Holy Spirit makes clear, if you've ever been reading and something just, you have understanding that you didn't have understanding before and you prayed, Lord, help me to understand your word today. And the glories of God's word that you experience as the Holy Spirit is working understanding through you is you think back on those times and those are glorious times, the glory of Christ and we desire, hopefully, to experience more of those. All of that is the glory of Christ that God's, that Jesus' followers have experienced. But I don't think, ultimately, that Jesus is praying for that. Those are certainly maybe a, a small part of what he's praying for. But let's look back at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. Again, there's that sovereign focus. Lord, I will be able to keep them as believers because you have given them to me. You have chosen and given them to me. God's sovereignty in all this. We've seen this focus many times. And I desire that those, those true believers, your children that you've given to me, may be with me where I am. Well, Jesus is about to go to the cross and offer himself up for sacrifice. He's saying his disciples in particular that they will follow him to the grave. Well, I think we know that's not what he's saying. Well, what is he referring to then? Because remember, he's not just praying for the disciples. He's praying for us. So what is he saying here? That they will be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus looks forward, if we could put it this way, and prays and desires the consummation of all of our salvation, of us as he returns and establishes righteousness and justice in that wonderful kingdom that we look forward to. And when he returns in his glory as king, we will experience the full glory of Jesus, not only in his 100% humanity, but as 100% God in his deity, that will be amazing for us that he will manifest. And then we will experience that for all eternity. Jesus is looking forward to the day where we will be united with him forever. And we will be in awe of his glory and we will see it in the fullness. 
We will look on the glory of Christ that the prophets saw and bowed and were humbled. They couldn't even look at that glory because of their sinful condition until they were cleansed. And folks, we as glorified people of God, we will be able to look on that glory and marvel in a way that we've never been able to do, that no man has ever been able to do before. And we will then experience the full glory. We will see his glory. And that was given to him because the father loved him before the foundation of the world. Do you long to experience, to see the glory of Jesus and to be able to look upon him in that glory for all eternity. There should be something in our hearts, folks, that long for that. And Jesus says, is that longing in your hearts? I will make sure. I know that it will happen. I've prayed for it. It will happen. It will be accomplished. And we will all together one day bow before him and sing songs of praise for all eternity. That is a wonderful thought indeed. Jesus prayed for that here. But folks, don't miss as well. Here we have again a revealing description of his deity, of the deity of Christ. The people of God and the glory of God have been given to the Son, have been given to Jesus because he is worthy of them, because he is God. He is the Son of God. And God has given these things to him because he loved him before the foundation of the world. Another um, direct indication of Jesus' deity, because he says the eternal love of the Father is um, given to him and portrayed as being given to him before the beginning of time, before time itself, before creation, the Father was giving the love, his love to his Son. And so, if anyone ever debates again, well, is Jesus really God? Here's another great proof text. Jesus has to be God. Otherwise, how could he be with the Father before creation, before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time? This is, this is terms of eternity that Jesus is saying here. Oh, it's clear. It's apparent. Jesus is God. And he and the Father have had a loving relationship for all of time, for all of eternity. And Jesus prays now that his fathers will see this glory that he has experienced throughout all eternity and the love of the Father. And then he continues on about the love of the Father in verse 25. Remember earlier he described in this prayer his Father as holy, separate pure. And now he refers to him as, O oh, righteous father. And this is, describes God's righteousness. What is God's righteousness? Again, it is a standard that only God can meet. It is a perfect, sinless standard, a measuring rod that is totally appropriate as a holy God, a righteous God, to have expectations in order for people to dwell with him forever, that they would have to meet that standard. And as the righteous father, Jesus makes clear that it is the father's righteousness that must be met. And only the father can do that. And thus he is fully righteous. He is fully pure. He is fully moral. 
He is truly righteous in all things. And Jesus makes that clear <clears throat> as well. But folks, what this also, this has um, ramifications for us. Because God is also righteous, even as Jesus gets ready to offer himself up as a sacrifice for sin. We need to assent to this and fully recognize this. God is also righteous in allowing sinners salvation, in saving sinners from their sins, those that have rejected him. How could he be righteous? Well, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card that he offers. In one sense, his son had to die. The sacrifice that Jesus is about to accomplish will allow Jesus' perfect righteousness that he earned to then be transferred to our account. And we receive his righteousness transferred to us when we put our faith and trust in him. And the Father is righteous in doing that too. And folks, he offers his righteousness to us today. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. And you have the right to dwell with God forever and see the glories of Jesus in this. And so that term, righteous father, is certainly appropriate. And as he continues then, he says, even though the world does not know you, I know you. The world, those of the world, can't have any understanding of this righteous father. But those, in this idea of knowing Jesus, he says, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. To know and trust Jesus and his work is to have relationship with the father. He says, those who know that you have sent me means that they have an intimate knowledge and understanding that Jesus is the sent one. And they can only have that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about us, his disciples, and us, all of those who have trusted Christ. We are all those that know that you have sent me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one that came and died on the cross? then you are described here as well. And Jesus makes it clear that he has that intimate personal knowledge, the closest personal relational knowledge of the Father. And his followers then can have that too, through a relationship with him. Folks, that's something the world cannot have any knowledge of. And that's why Jesus says it there. The world does not know you. It's not possible. They don't know me, and therefore they can't know you, Father. But these that are with me and these that will trust in me because of their um, relationship, their uh, testimony, they know me, and we have a relationship that will go throughout all eternity. They give assent, and we give assent to the truth of Jesus' mission. Do we assent to that today? Do we all agree that Jesus is the sent one of the Father who accomplished the work that God had for him and can enable us to experience his glory and experience the love of the Father, we assent to that today as well. And therefore, the world may reject Christ, but we know and we love him. But folks, we should never be satisfied with the amount of love that we have. Jesus prays not just that we would experience 
further glory, his further glory, but that we would continue to understand the love of the Father for him and the love that he has for us. And that's verse 26. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And again, at the beginning of this verse, Jesus highlights the fact he's accomplished the mission, mission accomplished. He has in the Father, he has revealed the Father to his followers. Now let's go back just quickly and remember the description of the mission that we received all the way back in John chapter one. Can we go there real quick? John chapter one, and John assents and agrees from the very first chapter that Jesus did indeed fulfill the Father's mission he was sent to accomplish. The apostle John assents to that. Christ makes it clear that he's accomplished this. And so there's no excuse for the world to not agree to this, and yet they've rejected this. John 1, starting at verse 9. The mission of Christ is described. The true light, that's Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. There's the deity of Christ as creator, yet the world did not know him. And he's mentioned that. Now it ties in with what he's saying here in his prayer at the end. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, there's that glorious description of Jesus as the revelation of the Father. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There John ascends to the fact he accomplished his mission. We saw his glory. John bore witness about him as well, John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me before, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We sang about that this morning. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John said, mission accomplished. Jesus made known the, the reality of the Father. Jesus says, mission accomplished. I made known to them your name. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the second part of the verse and back to John 17, verse 26. He says, I'll continue my ministry to my followers. I'll continue to reveal the Father to them. I will continue to make known, that is the Father's name. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He will not only give them the revelation of the Father, folks, friends, but he will also provide experiential dwelling and abiding of the Son so that they can know in an even more intimate, close way his love for them. A fuller understanding and realization of the Father's love as Jesus literally abides within us. That's how he'll accomplish this, through the death that he is about to offer for the sins of the world. And the Father's love will fill believers in a greater way as they abide in Christ. 
And Jesus prays saying, Lord, do this. And I know you will accomplish this. Jesus prays that we will continue to experience the love of the Father and the Son as he finishes out this beautiful prayer. I was thinking, uh, our boys get to study a lot of different things in their homeschooling textbooks, and Leslie makes sure it's a, a complete education. She does very well with that. And one of the things that I think most of them enjoy is history. I know certainly Arden does. One of the many things that I found interesting over the years, and Arden and I have read some books together about the Civil War. We lived in Maryland, and there's a lot of, of, of history when it comes to the Civil War in Maryland and Pennsylvania, Southern Pennsylvania. And we were able, we had access to go to a number of the battlefields. Well, we, we actually only made it to one in particular, and that is Gettysburg. We had read a lot about Gettysburg. I had read a lot about Gettysburg and was fascinated by what drove those men to sacrifice their lives and the convictions that they held in order to be willing. There really was a mass slaughter that day, those three days, if you've read and what happened there. And as disturbing as it is, and even some of the pictures that have been, had been taken really drive it home, to uh, understand what was going on in their minds and, and to understand the details of what happened to that uh, if you've ever seen a movie or a recreation of it, it really is remarkable. But as much as you read and study these battles, there's another level of understanding and experience when you actually go to the battlefield, like what I just said. We've gone to the Gettysburg field multiple times, and I've literally watched my boys in places where hundreds of men gave their lives, lost their lives in a three-day battle in the heat of the sun and the slaughter there, I've watched my boys climb on rocks and laugh and play and watched other children laugh and play. There's a place called Devil's Den. I don't know if you've ever been to Gettysburg or understand or studied that. And it's these incredible rock formations. It just, it's kind of strange in, in Pennsylvania to see this, but they just come out of nowhere and they're these huge rock formations. And you can literally, you have to be careful. I'm always a little nervous because you get to the top of these rocks and if one of the boys were to fall, it was be quite a fall for them. It'd be um, pretty, pretty hurtful. But you get to a part where you can climb in and out and there's little tunnels and the boys were enjoying, you know, kind of going through the tunnels and kind of running into each other. And there were other people there. And I'm like, oh, look out for that person. And it was a lot of fun. But at the same time, as I'm kind of standing back and sobering, realizing so many men died here for what they thought was right and for a common cause. And here kids are laughing and praying. It's a little plain. It's a little surreal. But at the same time, many men died so that people could have freedom to do just that. So it really is remarkable. But my point in bringing all that up is it's another level of understanding when you're actually there, when you actually walk and you see where the battles took place, when you actually stand where one um, commander was pointing and showing his men where to go and was shot down in the place where he died. When you actually see that, there's a fuller experience that you could never get just from a textbook or from even reading a book or looking at pictures. And in a so much greater sense, Jesus is saying, I'm about ready to give my life so that you will have a more experiential understanding of who I am and my love for you. And we can have that, folks, because of the sacrifice that he's about to give. 
a couple wonderful quotes here that I came across about the glory of Christ. One is an old Puritan quote from a guy named John Owen, who wrote many books. One of them is called The Glory of Christ. And talking about this fuller understanding of Jesus and understanding his glory, he says, By beholding the glory of Christ by faith, we shall find rest to our souls. Our minds are apt to be filled with troubles, fears, cares, dangers, distresses, ungoverned passion, and lusts. This kind of really fits in well with Sunday school lesson, doesn't it? By these, our thoughts are filled with chaos, darkness, and confusion. But where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ, then the mind finds rest and peace. For to be spiritually minded is peace. What's the ultimate solution to our cares and our woes and our worries? It's to understand the glory of Christ and to focus on that. A more modern quote, a guy that many of you, I'm sure, would remember his name, A.W. Tozier. He has a lot of good quotes. He says this, is it ever possible to overdo the talking about the glory of Christ? Is it ever too often to be in God's presence? Our problem is that we go from toy to toy rather than from glory to glory. It's a good reminder. Lord Jesus, as you prayed for us, help us to be experience your glory and your love more fully on a regular basis. That the things of the world would just seem like paltry toys that we'd be willing to give up in a minute if we saw that Jesus was returning and go to him. Folks, do you realize as we finish up, the last words of Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer, before he gives himself up as a sacrifice, and we're about ready to get into that over the next few weeks, right up until Easter and his resurrection. His last words of his prayer is that his followers would see his full glory. He wants us to be with him. Even as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's looking forward to being with the Father again and then to have all of us with him again. As much as we want to see Jesus, guess what? He wants to see us even more. That's remarkable. And he desires to, for us to experience more fully his marvelous sacrificial love. That's what he desires for each of us today. We're about ready to celebrate Valentine's Day tomorrow, and there's some important things involved with that, especially between husbands and wives, right? But folks, this, this love really ought to be even more of our focus today, tomorrow, this week. And Jesus prayed for that. And we know we can be confident that he can accomplish this in our lives. Do you really love him? Is he sweet to you? Pray for grace to know him more. And he will give that to us. Father, thank you. What a beautiful reminder. What a beautiful prayer. And to think that our Savior, right before he went to the cross, prayed for us that we would see his glory. And may we do that through his word and through reliance in his power. But, oh, Lord, we look forward to that day when he'll return. We'll see him in full glory and marvel. And help us, anyone who's here today who's struggling who feels insignificant, who is overwhelmed by burden and worries and fear and trials, let them experience in greater form the love of Christ. Jesus prayed for it. We can be confident that that can happen. So, Lord, let that happen. 
as we study your word, as we understand more of what Jesus has done for us, as we sing the praises of what Jesus has done for us, let us know even a fuller experience of your love, of Christ's love for us, and be encouraged today to share that love with a world that so desperately needs it. Let's do that in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.